We're going to have to agree to change a few things, to do a few things. And if you can agree to this, I guarantee that in 12 months' time, this church will look very different. If you take this and apply this, your church will look very, very different indeed. But it's going to mean change in your life. It's going to mean your life getting messy. It's going to mean you opening your front door. You know when the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself? You can get all theological and say, well, who is my neighbor? Here's an idea. Try either side of your house. Start there. Do you know their names? First names and last names? Do you know who their kids are? Do you know where they go to school? Do you know what issues and problems have got going on in their life? Have you ever offered to pray for them? Have you invited them around for a curry or a barbecue? Ever? And then you wonder why they just look at you like them weird Christians who live next door. But it's all right. They're quiet. They're not bringing house value down. Are you ready to agree? Are you ready to agree to do whatever it takes? Here's number one then. I've made these notes available so uh, Tim can email them out to anybody that wants them. If you book through Eventbrite, I'm guessing we've got your email details and stuff like that. So if you're taking notes, please do take them, but you can have them. I'm not precious about sermon notes. Have them. Number one, we agree to do anything short of sin to reach people who do not follow Christ. We agree to do anything short of sin to reach people who do not follow Christ. Do you get that? Anything, however embarrassing it may be to you, however much you really don't want to do it, however much you might just cringe inside at the thought of it, you've got to agree that you will got to say to God, here I am Lord, send me. Wherever it may be, whatever you ask me to do, send me. When you're at the bus stop and you see the person on a pair of crutches and God says to you, ask them if they want prayer, you've got to do it. Because if you don't, he can't do. It's the ifs. It's the ifs. If my people will do this, if my people will pray, if my people will turn to me, if my people humble themselves. If, 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 if. There's an outcome to the if. There's an answer to the if. You've got to do your part so God can do his. It's a partnership. If God didn't want it as a partnership, he wouldn't have left the local church to finish the job. But he did. His son did what he did and God could have just swept in at that point, redeemed everybody that was there and said, job done, finished, I'm off home. But he didn't. He said, no, for time immemorial, for those to come, I'm a patient God and I will wait, but I'm going to give you a job. You've got a job to do. You've got to do anything short of sinning yourself to reach those people. You've got to be willing to crawl across hot coals if that's what it takes to reach those people. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Paul was willing to become a slave to everyone. He was willing to do anything to win as many as possible. He was willing to become all things to all men that he might save just some. Just some. Because the truth of it is, not everybody will be saved. If you don't believe me, go to Scripture. Again, I didn't say it. It's written down. 
It's right in here. The wheat and the chaff will be separated. There are those that will not gain access to heaven. It's just there in Scripture. Doesn't mean we get out of the job that God left us with to see some, as many as possible, saved. So number one, we agree to do anything short of sin. Number two, we agree to accomplish more with less. Accomplish more with less. I've been in some churches where their PA system costs a quarter of a million pounds. Their PA system, quarter of a million quid. Now, don't get me wrong, this is the church that builds rehab centers. They spend a lot on ministry. And it's a church of over a thousand people, so they have a big stage. They need a big PA system. But still, I think it's a bit excessive. They could accomplish a lot more with less. In fact, that's where God loves to be because he loves to show off. He loves to show off. He loves to take what you invest and multiply it exponentially. He loves to see the seed that you choose to sow grow and flourish. It says in Acts again, there were no needy persons among them. When it says them... It means the believers. There was no need whatsoever among the believers. Why? Because from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. There was no need among them. Do you even really know what's going on in the people in your church in their lives, really? Do you know if they're struggling financially? Do you know if they have debts? Do you know if they're struggling to feed themselves and their kids? Do you know if they're looking at threatening maybe redundancies? Do you know what's really going on in people's lives? Because they did. And they made sure there was no need among them. How do you think the numbers were added to daily? Because there was so much need in the community around the early church, just outside the city of Jerusalem, the tent city that built up of believers, that those in the city who were starving and hungry and didn't know where to turn were looking at the believers and going, well, they're not hungry. There's no need among them. They're looking after each other. I'm going to go listen to what they have to say, and I'm going to get a bacon sandwich while I'm doing it. They weren't because they were Jewish, no bacon, you know. And if you have no other reason to pray for our Jewish brothers and sisters, just pray for them, please, that they find salvation because they've never known a bacon sandwich. (laughs) So sad. Accomplish more with less. By taking what we have. Do you know there's enough food in the world for everyone? There should be no starvation. Why is there starvation? Because man is greedy and we keep too much for ourselves. There's enough money for everybody without me getting all communist. But there is. There are enough houses for everybody. There really is. But too many people own too many themselves to get rich. It's all about greed. And us acquiring greed for our big fat pension pot. So we can sit and do nothing and then get bored and have a crisis and buy a sports car and leave your wife or whatever. Oh, that's working out well. Wonderful. Do more with less. Number three, to accomplish more together than alone. We need to do this. More with less. So we go through them again. Number one, 
do anything short of sin. Number two, accomplish more with less. Number three, accomplish more together than alone by looking after each other and meeting each other's needs, doing it together, whatever it costs, however difficult it is. Number four, the last one, you've got to admit, we are not a mega church. We're a micro church with a mega vision. Why do, why do churches strive to be mega church? I don't want to be a mega church. If a church gets above 300 people, it's practically impossible to work on a relational level. The, the Antioch church in, the, in Scripture never got beyond 300 people, as far as we know, but it sent out and 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 planted and grew and planted and grew over and over and over and over again. Because they knew that and that's kind of the cutoff point. And from a pastor's point of view, a leader's point of view, you can't lead more than that number really because then you've got to start building your team and then you've got to start paying more wages and it just gets crazy. We're not a mega church. We're a micro church, local church, but with a mega vision. I'd rather have 10 churches of 300 than one church of 3,000 any day. That will change a town. 10 churches of 300 will change a town. One church of 3,000 will just suck the resource out of the town. Suck all the money out of the town. That's all it will do. Because it won't want to get nitty gritty, get on the estates and get in the council houses and do what needs to be done. Mark 16, 15. Then he said, go into the world. Go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. Whoever believes and is baptized is saved. Whoever refuses to believe is damned. I will never, you will never find a recording of me bragging or talking about how many people put their hand up and made a decision because that's not salvation. Because scripture tells us to be saved, you have to be believe and be baptized. I'll shout all day about 60 people getting baptized because they've made a decision and they've confirmed it through their baptism. That's what scripture says. There is no sinner's prayer either in Scripture. I've looked through it, left, right, up, down, everywhere. Can't find it. Can't find it anywhere. It doesn't exist. What I can find in Scripture is people getting alongside individual people and investing into their life, leading to a point where they're willing to listen to what the person has to say and then baptizing them. And sometimes that happens in 10 minutes. Sometimes it takes 10 months. But here's the final challenge. We've agreed to do these things. Number one, anything short of sin to reach people. Number two, accomplish more with less. Number three, accomplish more together than alone. And number four, admit and accept that we're not a mega church. We're a micro church with a mega vision. The last one is this, and you're all going to commit to this. All of you. And if you do, I guarantee, guarantee your church will double in the next 12 months. How good does that sound? I guarantee if you do what I'm telling you to do now, your church will double in the next 12 months. You're not excited about that? I guarantee it. It can't not happen if you agree to do it and go and do it. It will double. Are you ready? You have all got to go in the next 12 months and prayerfully reach one person for Christ and lead them to faith in baptism. Just one. Just one. Just one. One person, not 10, not 20, no, just one. And if every single one of you do that, 
commit to it, no matter how much it scares you. Say, I'm going to start out with the hit list. I'm going to put six people on it. I'm going to pray it through. I'm going to decide which the one is, and I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get them. I don't like curry, but I'll take them for one because they love curry. I've got IBS. It'll kill me, but I'll do it anyway. I'm going to do it. And if you all say, I'm going to do it, and then you don't do it, then the church legally, according to Scripture, can take you outside and stone you to death. I'm not joking. Um, Scripture says we can do it, but, you know, laws of the land. (laughs) What do they know? But if we do this, it will double. And that's got to be an exciting prospect that 50% more people than are sitting here right now are destined for heaven. And all of a sudden, it become, churches that have done this, I'm telling you, it becomes infectious. Do you know why? Because you start competing with each other. Because after a month, you get your person, so you say, well, I'm going to get two this year. And then Joyce, who's looking longingly at your one that you got seeing you going for two, is thinking, right, I'm not having that. I'm going to have three. And Joyce gets three. So then Bill is like, right. I've been doing this longer than Joyce. You know what I mean? Christian, two minutes. I'm having five. And it goes on and on and on and on. It's fantastic. And then all of a sudden, what you find is your church has a culture of evangelism and discipleship working together. It just happens organically. Because you're all supporting each other. There's no need among you. And you're getting out there doing what Scripture commanded you to do because you promised tonight to do it. It's that simple. And my job is done. If these weren't so expensive, I'd mic drop. Are you ready to commit? Oh, you got, I know it's hot, but come on. I'm, I'm the one talking and sweating. You're sat there fanning yourselves. Oh, it's so, it's just so warm. I just, uh. it's dripping off me in cobs. Three showers I'll have had today by the time I get home. So, are you ready to commit? All right, let's stick a flag in the ground then. Let's say this was the day. This Thursday night in pool at a Roman Catholic school was the moment that will be remembered in history when the revival began. When this nutty Yorkshireman drove five hours, stopped off at Stonehenge, because, you know, he'd never seen it. And I've got to get most out of my National Trust Pass. That thing's paid for itself already. It's brilliant. Kids think I'm spending loads on them. It's only 10 for a month. Anyway, tonight was the night, this Thursday night. On the 26th, it'll go down in the church annals of history that this was the moment that this group of people stood and said, no more. I've had enough. I'm sick of reading about it. I want to see it. I'm sick of reading of signs, wonders and miracles being commonplace. I want to see it. I'm sick of hearing preachers tell me that they've seen deaf ears open and the lame walking, which I have, but I want to see it for myself. I want to see it. I want to receive, via the Holy Spirit, that boldness that I read about in Acts. That these normal, idiotase idiots, that all of a sudden they've been with Jesus, got the Holy Spirit infection, and all of a sudden they're bold. All of a sudden they're preaching sermons from scriptures they've never even studied. 
the first martyr, Stephen, stands up there and preaches the most eloquent sermon I have ever read or had the privilege of hearing in my life. Where did that come from? The Holy Spirit. Because he will bring in remembrance to everything, everything that God has already downloaded into you via his Holy Spirit the day you committed to follow Jesus. You committed to do that. I didn't ask you to. You said, I'm going to follow Jesus. If you made that commitment and been baptized, raise your hand for me. Every single one of you have signed that contract. And Jesus says, there is no walking away. There is no walking away. I hate the term backslidden Christian. Because I don't understand how you can look Jesus Christ himself in the face accept and realize who he is and what he has done and then turn away. I don't get that. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. It's like somebody walking through there now saying, hey, Mr. Tunley, you've won a Ferrari California. It's parked outside for you. Or alternatively, you can have this 1972 Lada Riva. And me going, I like Lada. Why would I trade Ferrari for Lada? The Bible describes it beautifully. It says it's like a dog going back to eat its own sick. That's how weird it is. Anybody choosing to follow Jesus, but then not following through on following Jesus. So you've all sat for long enough. You've all got sweaty pants. <laughs> you have. There's no point denying it. You've been sat on these hard chairs in this heat. Not one of you has mastered levitation. It's a true fact. You know, I'm just recognizing the need among us. Would you stand? If you made that commitment to Christ, you went through the waters, and upon the confession of your faith, you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You were given a job a task, a mantle, a role, a job description. It was handed down to you as it's been handed down to generations before you. And generations before you have taken it and they've run with it and they've seen God do phenomenal things. I have this poster on my office wall. It's a timeline. It's every revival and key revivalist over the last 500 years. And I look at that poster when I pray and say, God, yes, again, again. And it was all started with a small group of idiots who decided enough is enough. Enough is enough. We are going to do whatever it takes. Short of sinning, we are going to do whatever it takes we're going to get out there and we're going to reach that one person. Just one in the next 12 months. I am going to do it. And if Tim is smart, he'll come on Sunday and I'll get you all to sign a bit of paper that says so. And he'll hold you to it. You said you were going to bring one person in here. I know it's a bit legalistic, but you know. Think of it like a mobile phone contract. You ain't getting out of it. You ain't getting out of it. You can beg plead, it don't matter. No, you said you're going to do it. 12-month contract you're signing up for now. One person, 12 months. So I'm going to pray, God, 
does a few things in here right now. I'm going to pray he baptizes you afresh in his Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray the words that have been spoken, just like that Sermon on the Mount in the book of Acts that we read about as, as Peter got up and he preached. He said the Holy Spirit pierced the hearts, pierced the hearts of those who were listening. You see, once your heart's been pierced, it's, it's irrevocable. It's, it's happened. You can't change your mind. It's there. But in order for the Holy Spirit, who is the great counselor, the great comforter, he won't force himself upon anyone. You have to allow him in to do that. He won't make you start shaking. He won't send you flying back three rows of chairs. Again, I can't find that anywhere in Scripture. All that modern day ooty doody doo da. But what he will do is he will transform you. He will give you a boldness like you've never had before. He will put a passion and a fire in your heart that you can't contain or explain. It will burn in the very fiber of you. you Jesus will become the last thought on your mind at night and the first thing on your mind in the morning. You won't be able to shake it. It will be infectious. It will be delicious. It will be the one thing that motivates you, spurs you, drives you, and passions you for the rest of your days. And don't get me wrong, it's exhausting. But it is so much fun. It's like being strapped into a roller coaster you know is never going to crash or end. And you're just waiting for the next loop-de-loop or the corkscrew. You don't know what's coming around the next bend. It's like doing it blindfolded. It's mega. But you do know it's going to be fun and you do know it's going to be exciting. And you do know that God is going to do more than you can possibly ever ask for or imagine. That's the truth. That's the promise. That is the promise. So the first thing we're going to do is confess. Because without confession, there can be no presence of the Holy Spirit. Without confession of sin, there can be no interaction. Holy Spirit, the holiness of God himself cannot be where sin is. Can't. It's impossible. The two things are polar opposites. So let's pray. Lord, bring to mind anything now, anything that is wrong in our life right now. It may be unforgiveness towards a family member, a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, an auntie, an uncle, anybody, a neighbor, a friend, someone that's caused us hurt and pain. And we say we've forgiven, but we haven't really because we harbor that anger in our hearts. If that is you, God is telling you to let go. Because unforgiveness is letting someone else live rent-free in your head. Forgiveness is a commandment for a reason. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. If you want God to forgive you, you must forgive those who sin against you. Let go now. Allow the healing touch of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you enough to let go, to forgive them. If that's you, speak it out. Let the words pass from your lips. I forgive. You don't have to say the name, but bring the person to mind. I forgive. Speak it out if that's you. I forgive. If you've allowed 
a behavior, an attitude, an addiction into your life, whether it be alcohol, whether it be drugs, whether it be pornography. If you've allowed something into your life, you know it's destructive. You know that God doesn't want that in your life. You, you know it's not the best plan God has for you. God wants to set you free. He wants to break those chains. And he breaks those chains by reminding you how strong and how powerful you are. He breaks those chains, not in some weird external supernatural way. He breaks those chains by redeeming your soul, filling you with his Holy Spirit, and giving you the recollection and the remembrance that actually, hang on a minute, I can't be bound. I can't be chained. I can't be held down. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir to the throne of heaven. I can't be held by an addiction. I can't be held by a behavior. I am chosen and set apart and sanctified by God himself. No weapon formed against me can ever stand. This isn't about God zapping you. This is about God helping you remember who you are. And if you've allowed any of those things into your life, we're going to speak to them right now. To the addictions, to the drugs, to the drink, to the pornography, to whatever it is that's come into these, these people's lives. We speak to those things now and say, do you not remember who this brother or sister is? They are a child, a servant of the living God. Do you not remember who they are? I command these addictions, these demonic forces that would attack and bind people, I command them now in the name of Jesus Christ to look upon my brothers and sisters, remember who they are and flee in fear by the presence of God, at the presence of the Holy Spirit, upon the word of God that is branded upon their hearts. Be free in this place today. Lord, now we've repented before you. Now we remember who we are. We remember the promise we made to you. We remember the sacrifice made by you. Forgive us that we forgot who we are. Forgive us that we forgot what we're called to be, who we're called to be. Forgive us for forgetting that you turned back around to us and said, now you are the light in this world. You are the torchbearer. You will go into the darkest of situations. You will bring light and life. You. Fill us now, Lord. Fill us now afresh and anew. We open our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. We invite you in. Embolden us. Ignite the fire within us. Release in us the gifts, the apostles, the pastors, the prophets, the teachers. Unleash the gift. 
within us. Remind us that we already have all that we need in you to do all you have called us to do. And we commit before you to get out there and find a way to reach that one person. Give us what we need. Bring that person to mind right now. That one person, the first one on the hit list, the first one that we're going to see baptized. And you will baptize them. If the Lord says to you, you will baptize them. You will get in the water with them and you will baptize them for you led them to me. You journeyed with them to me and you will go through the waters with them as I claim them back to me. Through the death and resurrection, you will be there. It's a promise God gives to you tonight. You will be the ones. The pool will be set up. The pastor will be there too, but you will be in the water. And you will baptize that one person. And in 12 months' time, I'll be getting an email to say, our church has doubled. No, no, it's more than doubled. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your plans, for your grace. Thank you for all this church is going to do. Thank you for the seeds of revival that have been sown tonight. Thank you that they will grow. Thank you that your word that is cast out does not return void. Thank you for your promises that we stand upon, that we remember. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can say amen. Yeah, you did it. Have it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. I'm passing back over to Tim. I don't know what his plan is now. I've probably run out of time, but I do like to waffle.